I don't believe you're recruiting. If you are not capable of dealing with all of the stakeholders who have expressed an interest in a respectful manner, the expectations of candidate have shifted enormously from a time when we had none of these things and the expectation was, you know, that they had to wait, that they expected bias to be used, that they knew their numbers, the numbers were not in their favor ever, and they almost never heard back. So today, they do expect to hear back because they know you've got that technology. So hi, I'm Denise Chaffin, president of Top Source Talent, and today my guest is Jerry Crispin, and Jerry is the owner or co-owner of a company called Career Crossroads, as well as a part of, a, I guess, another a number of different associations, and I will let Jerry go into that. So without further ado, I would like to introduce Jerry. Jerry, tell us a little bit about Career Crossroads, and we can also talk about some of the other organizations you're affiliated with. Sure. Well, um, I guess the best way to describe myself is a lifelong student. As you can imagine, I'm probably one of the older students that you're going to come across, but uh, I'm still learning, and as a result of that, still enjoying uh, everything that I do. About 30 years ago, 27 actually, uh, I started or founded a company called Career Crossroads. It was at the advent of the internet. I thought I was getting in late. I thought this was, you know, it was going to be over before it even started. And uh, for the most part, focused in on trying to better understand how people would change the way that they get jobs, change the way they look for people from an employer point of view. And that's, that's the reason for the crossroad. It was kind of the intersection of where the candidates and the employers would be engaged. But over time, uh, my writings and a variety of things, I basically wrote eight books during the 90s that, uh, that focused in on those kinds of things. But by 2000, 2002, we, we really got to a point with my first co-founder uh, where we really saw something that was changing, and that was... Corporations were beginning to embrace the internet and obviously the tools there, and that was the beginning of that. But they weren't they weren't ready to share what they were doing publicly. They were reluctant because of not privacy concerns, but basically embarrassment, if if you will, that they were playing with various kinds of tools to to do things a little bit better. They were or they thought that from a proprietary point of view, they were doing really cool stuff that contributed to them being at the leading edge of being able to hire people, uh, which was um, totally crazy in, in any way. And, but they wouldn't go to a conference and share what they were doing is the point. They would share what they did two years ago or a year ago. And so no one was talking about what we're doing right now because that's what was happening, right? So, so we created a, a community of people who were willing to share, who were compelled to improve what they do, who were um, passionate about the subject of recruiting, um, and were typically leading large teams of recruiters in very large companies. So when you're hiring 10,000, 50,000, 100,000 people in a given year, the tools and the systems and your ability to invest are very different than when you're in a small or medium-sized company. So we would gather some of those folks together and, and ask them to share in real time what they're working on right now. Um, and, and that became career crossroads in effect. 
and that was 20, a little over 20 years ago now. And each, each year it's continued to evolve, but in 2023, we had five um, one and a half day meetings that were hosted by one or more of our members. We have over a hundred members. Uh, we have probably in those hundred members, we have about 4,000 recruiters who are in leadership positions who participate and talk to each other on our platform almost every month. We also run about two, two to three hour long virtual sessions every week on some subject. It could be about background checks. It could be about how are you scheduling candidates? What tools are you using? How much does it cost? What are the problems with doing that, et cetera, et cetera. So, so, you, so would you say then that Career Crossroads is kind of like a learning center then for the TA? It's, I, it could be described as a learning center um, okay. in a sense. Um, it's, I think that's how peers learn. So I'm obsessed with the fact that in a community where you can trust the people in the room yeah. to participate, yeah, and that you means can. everyone in the room participates. No one is sitting there with a like a lump on a log. Right. They, so if, if you're in the room, you're going to get called on if, if you've been quiet um, because we want to get the, the opportunity to hear your voice. To hear whether or not you, how you react to what other people are doing, either you're doing the same thing, you're behind on some things, ahead on other kinds of things, but how do we, you know, move the needle? How do we increase the value? Now, I, you know, I have strong opinions um, and bite my tongue quite often, but, but for the most part, when I chime in, it's about what is the right thing to do? You know, how should we be evolving to add value to every stakeholder, not just the recruiter, but the hiring manager, the business itself, and especially the one who has no champion, and that's the candidate. So, so fundamentally, I'm interested in how the needs of each of these stakeholders in the recruiting process is met. And I would agree that, you know, the, there are others, the vendors who are creating the technologies need to have feedback from us collectively exactly. about the crap that they're selling us if it's Well, crap. we need their feedback as well. And, 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 and we need to give feedback, you know, to, to the third parties who are consulting with us or augmenting our capabilities uh, to, to recruit. Really, and then so, in that case, the word candidate can be very far-reaching because I was thinking about that earlier too. I noticed on your website, and one of the things that you had that's being discussed on there too is all of the different points, if you would, about the candidate experience and how it's becoming a uh, an increasing focus, right? For a number of reasons, we can go into that. But I think when I was reading, I thought this can also extend beyond candidates though, to vendors and third parties. And Oh God, yes. You know, because we, yeah, oh. we all need, we all need what these candidates are asking for, which is sharing more information, providing timely feedback. In this case, it was providing structured interviews, right? Um, and timely offers, that type of thing. But I mean, the first two apply to so many of the different um, people who are involved in this industry. All of the stakeholders deserve a respect, clearly, because they're they're engaged, they're involved, and and we have to operationalize what that is. But the first thing we need to do is define who's in this to begin with. I will tell you that in the early days, I could ask fifty recruiters what a candidate was, and every one of them would give me a different answer. The candidate, everyone's a candidate. Everyone's a candidate. Only the people who are qualified are candidates. Only the people I interview are candidates, whatever. And I'm going, recruiters don't seem to have much of a standard when it comes to that. But if you ask an individual looking for a job or considering a job, when they become a candidate, they will all give you the exact same answer. And that answer is equivalent to saying, when I press submit, 
telling you that I'm interested in your job, I'm a candidate. Whether I'm qualified or not is not relevant to you or, or to anyone but me. I think I'm qualified because I submitted my interest. But that's part of what we do in recruiting, though, is we differentiate a candidate, though, from a potential candidate, or I should say an active candidate well, from a potential candidate. Well, I would, I, would, I would suggest changing the word. So we have, we have leads, we have prospects, then we have candidates, and that's every person who applies or expresses interest. And then you have then you have qualified applicants, if you sure. will, or qualified candidates, sure. um, who who you differ with in terms of that. Now, the question I would have is, if a hundred people applied, how many are qualified? And by and large, on average, in large companies, about fifty percent are qualified. About. 50% you could easily defend are not at this time anyway qualified. Sure. So I would ask, what do you do with those who are not qualified at this time? How do you how do you respectfully tell them we're not going forward? What do you do with the 50 that are qualified but maybe you're not going to see 50 people? So you're going to differentiate between those who are qualified and those who will be competitive as a slate, final slate for the hiring manager, for example. Correct. What do you do with those who are qualified, conceivably could in the future compete for your job successfully, but but you're not going to go forward with them. They're not going to be interviewed. And, you know, how about the five, let's say, that you do engage, you do interview, who do connect to you, who you only end up hiring one of. What do you do with the other four? Right, right. You know, do you ignore them? Do you just let them, you know, sit fallow, you know, out there and start all over the next time you have a cons at one of those openings? Or that's usually what or happens. do you treat them differently as well? So I'm I'm of the, you know, the, the ilk that our technology should be helping us shift our practices to do things so much more nuanced than we ever did before, than we ever And did I think before. some of the software now that we're using will enable us. I know like li with LinkedIn, if you do a LinkedIn posting, it'll ask you when you do the posting, do you want to send out the following messages to candidates who don't fit? And so... I posted a position the other day, in fact, and there were 14 people who applied and not one of them met the criteria. And so I did. I said, I, all I had to do was check a little box and then I crafted my own little message and sent it out to all of them and it went out to all 14 at the same time. So there is, I think, some software technology. Well, there's plenty of it. Yeah. There's plenty of it. The issue is who uses it. Right. And, who, how and many... the data suggests. Yeah that less than a quarter of the companies use it. Interesting. So you are you are unique I said in it really, how you are handling I that. I didn't realize that. Well, if you look at their backgrounds, well, because again, you just made a good point. If you look at their backgrounds, they have great backgrounds, just not oh. for the position I was recruiting for, right? So looking at some of their backgrounds, I thought, I wouldn't mind staying in contact with these people. Plus, what happens then, too, is they wind up connecting with you and they become part of your... You, you, yeah, you don't have to convince well, me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I worked for Johnson & Johnson um, uh, in the age of the dinosaurs when a, a post office worker would bring in a bag, bag... Oh, sure. A res with resume. With envelopes. And they would put them in in the equivalent of a you know those little waiting pools for kids. Yeah, we had a waiting pool for kids in the middle of recruiting, and it would be filled filled with thousands of those. And I had I had workers who came in from uh, community organizations twice a week, and they looked at the outside of the envelope for the code of the rec. Okay, that had to be on the outside of the envelope. They would open the envelope, stack the resumes for all of the different recruiters. 
And the recruiters then would take the stack and go do their thing, right? Sure. Um, however, every day, the recruiters who have decided these folks will not go forward brought that stack back of those who are unwanted. And those same community folks would either fill out a postcard or, a, or in, uh, put a letter in that, that informed uh, every single candidate either the status of their resume or that we're not going forward in a polite way. Interesting. This is, this is prior to anything, right? No internet. No text messages, no email, no no nothing. So 100% of the candidates we received were informed of their status on a regular basis. That's amazing. And not everybody, not everybody that does that, though. Even, few even companies in do America. that today. Right. Few. I don't believe you're recruiting. If you are not capable of of dealing with all of the stakeholders who have expressed an interest in a respectful manner. Well, and the things like we were just talking about, though, with the technology, the software that's out there, it's so much easier than opening up all these envelopes and then responding to each person. I mean, it's just so much. Like I said, I, I was able to reach out to 14 people with one little click and create, crafting my own little message back to them. You make, right? you make a great point, though, Denise, because the end result is the expectations of candidates yeah. have shifted enormously from a time when we had none of these things and the expectation was you know that they had to wait that that they expected bias to be used that they knew their numbers the numbers were not in their favor ever and they almost never heard back so today they do expect to hear back because they know you've got that technology. They expect you to manage your bias. They expect the numbers to be closer in their favor to at least getting some information that will help them compete more effectively in the future. And you know what? They are not interested in waiting. No. They, their no. expectation is that you're going to respond pretty quickly. Yeah. Maybe not instantly, but yeah. pretty quickly. Yeah. Some kind of feedback. And it's interesting, too, because when you do apply, I think, online now, a lot of companies will send an immediate, we've received your application, somebody will be back with you in a few days. So just that promise alone of getting back to people, if you're going to send that message to candidates who've applied, you owe it to them then to respond accordingly. And not only that, but Denise, I think you're raising another issue. Candidates now can apply to hundreds of times the number of companies that they did in the past because they they also have access to AI tools <clears throat> that will let them do much more automatically than they ever did before. They were limited, you know, to filling out and dealing with all of that in the past. But I think we're going to see a shift that's going to be forced on every employer. And I think every employer <clears throat> is going to be in a position within the next two years to be able to say to that hundred you know, candidates that apply that within 72 hours, if you would like, we will interview you to a hundred people. They'll be able to say that immediately to a hundred people. Say, if you apply... We will interview. You will get up to bat. However, it won't be a human that interviews you. Right, right. It's there going go. to be it's going to be a fair chatbot who's going to ask each of of you hundred people. And by the way, now it's hundred and two. Every one of you who applies will will have the opportunity to answer the same questions. Sure. And we are going to take that data and then let you know who we go forward with and who we don't. That's um, interesting. So we will we will keep in touch relative to it. So we'll be able to change not just in kind, we're going to have to change our practices totally uh, to adjust, if you will, to a whole different approach to to recruiting because every candidate will quickly learn 
that they can tell ChatGPT to adjust each of their uh, applications to fit exactly the, the job description that was also developed by ChatGPT. That was a, and that's an interesting conversation right there because I had a, a discussion with another recruiter about that recently, and he is the university relations lead for a semiconductor company. In fact, we just did a, a podcast with him a few weeks ago, and he talked about candidates, especially coming out of school and how they want one resume to fit all positions. And he's suggesting to them, no, I mean, based on the position you're applying for, you need to have a resume that's going to be specific to that position that you're applying for. And you need to mark the resume and you need to create a folder for yourself of which companies you've applied to, which positions, their job numbers, and et cetera. And so it's interesting because, and I know I, I my own resume and my own bio has been directed towards maybe what a company might need, how my experience would fit their, would fit their, the needs that, that they have at the time. So with that though, using an AI tool though, to create a number of different resumes. I mean, if you want to be relevant though, in the community, we talk about company culture and how there's a big focus on that, but we also have to put some of the onus on the candidates themselves. And if they want to be relevant in their own community, they need to be honest about what their skills are. Because if they're interviewed and they fall flat during an interview, it's going to hurt the long run, not just for right. the position they're interviewing so for. So if 100 for other- people use AI, it's unlikely that they're going to edit a hell of a lot out. Right. The AI is going to provide gray area, if you will. A lot. That demonstrates that this person has the skills, knowledge, and experience that relates to every aspect of the job description, which was also written by ChatGPT, by the way. And the end result is there's going to be such... Not similarity, but such confusion on the content that comes in that way sure. that I believe what we're going to do is ignore that and say, you do your research on this job, and if you're interested, just indicate you have an interest, and then schedule the appointment for ChatGPT or you know my equivalent AI to interview you. And when that interview takes place, because it'll be really good and really nuanced and really fair, the the product, the AI, will ask a question about whether or not you have any experience, knowledge, or skill about X, Y, and Z, whatever it is. The candidate would say, oh, yeah, I have some experience doing this. And now that chat GPT would do what you would do, which is, well, could you give me an example can right. You tell me how, what role you played in doing that. Could you, you know, give me, you know, one more example around this? So you can, you can deal with that behavioral-based interview question and continue to focus in on that until you can determine that that individual, in fact, does have whatever that is. And now you've collected, in effect, a better set of data from which you can defend the candidates you're going to go forward with versus the candidates you're not and provide better information to the candidates you're not going forward with, defensible information that says you need to build more skills or knowledge or experience in this in order for us to go, go, you know, to be competitive for us in the future. And here's some places where you might be able to do that. Right. Or other jobs that you might want to consider. And all of that could be done without a human who is very costly and not always as skilled as someone who's been recruiting for many years and is trying to do these things for each and every one of the people who's expressed interest, which may not be possible. Well, and it's interesting. I um, worked for a data center company. 2015, 2016, for a couple of years, and they had started using HireVue, which is a digital interview format. Know it well. It was the first time I had worked with something like that. And the the reception, though, from the candidate community was very interesting. Some people were totally on board with it. 
Um, I think people who were applying for some of the, what would you call it, some of the field positions, some of the, they were looking at the time for like, I can't remember, technicians, a lot of technicians, a lot of people to work inside the data centers. Those people were pretty receptive because, again, there were so many applicants, right? And sure. there just wasn't another enough manpower to interview them all. Not only that, but that that software, even what's it been now, eight years since we were working with it, actually did a great job grading the candidates based on their answers. And there were three answers that were verbal and two that were written. But the executives, people who were director level and above, struggled with it. They did not want to be interviewed that way. So I I had uh, the same question of an executive search person who, by and large, was using, and in, in fact, it was HireVue at the time, and it was probably about five or six years ago. And I asked him, I said, mm, you know, what is the reaction you're getting? Uh, do people, um, you know, resist? And he says, of course they do. I mean, it's very natural. They want to interview with the CEO. Right. And I, I tell them, well, here's your choice. You can interview with me, and I'll tell the CEO he or she will decide whether or not they want to see you. Or you can tell them directly by answering these questions and having yourself videotape. Which would you prefer shares your information with the CEO in the next X? Yep. Um, and And almost all of them go, oh, now I get it. Yeah, uh, I think yeah. I prefer, I yeah. prefer to look at the screen, yeah, and answer the damn question and still be considered because um, I yeah. get to practice it, and I'm pretty good at practicing and speaking, you know, extemporaneously in response to these questions. So, so yeah, I would prefer that the CEO uh, sees me directly rather than have you represent me. And 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 the executive search person said, good. So here's the link to yeah. hire you. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yep. welcome, welcome to the new world. And it wasn't the, and it wasn't a hard interview. I mean, in terms of time exhausting, there were only five questions, right? It could be three. So, so what? We're and these tools are obviously are getting better. Not only hire view, but there's a whole series of more visual approaches to being able to do that. Now, if I, if 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 my avatar could be coupled with an AI, then you would have not be looking at a, a screen that's blank. You'd be looking at someone who looks like me, who's asking questions, but also is smarter than me in being able to consistently stick to the subject, focus on the subject, and continuously uh, delve further, deeper, until they get to a point where we can observe or measure uh, what that response is so that we can defend the use of it when we're selecting who to go forward with. Because most of us, you know, we, we, we vary our behaviors interview by interview. And from a reliability point of view, um, that's not a good thing to do. So I'm absolutely convinced the next two to three years, we will see a perception on the part of candidates that they would prefer to have something that approximates human um, and that looks, sm uh, smiles, uh, is caring in its approach, um, et cetera, et cetera. And we're going to get there pretty quickly. Well, it's just a matter of adapting to change. I mean, humans... Yeah. We hear it all the time. Humans have a hard time adapting to change, right? But but it's here. It's inevitable. Mm -hmm. And like you said, a while ago, get on board or, or you miss the boat. So Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. When I was, you sent me a link yesterday, ERE Media, and they talk about the candidate experience in detail to the point where they have what they call the Canned E Benchmark Research Program. So originally in 2010, when the talent board was founded by Elaine Orr, myself, and Ed Newman, we, we, we basically created the talent board, which is a annual opportunity for, for companies, employers, to test themselves by 
having uh, their candidates for jobs, a sample of them, anonymously complete and independently complete a comprehensive survey about the experience they've gone through in searching for a job. And the requirement is that 80% of the candidates are candidates you did not go forward with, and 20% are candidates you did go forward with. And as a result of that, an index is formed, and, and that's sort of like a net promoter score. And the candidates that rank the employer's highest are then acknowledged with an award on an annual basis. And that, that whole project is now in the hands of ERE Media as of this year. But over the last 10, 11, 12, 13 years, a report on that data, which is hundreds of thousands of candidates and hundreds of employers each year that participate, is, is readily available. And, and the lessons we've learned from that tell us that, that even that the way you treat candidates, even those you don't go forward with, can impact your bottom line. Can imp and we can demonstrate that with data at this point. And as a result of that, more and more companies are beginning to assess, if you will, their, their recruiting practices to ensure that there is closure, that there are expectations are set, that there is some effort to show that the process is a fair one, that there's accountability on the part of the recruiter for ensuring that the candidate is treated properly. So the Great Resignation, how much impact did the Great Resignation, as they call it, during the pandemic have on making these changes for corporate America because of just the fallout, if you I think uh slow. <laughs> I think it's every year is slow, even and I don't think the pandemic impacted it as much as one might think. It, there, there were some some better things that were a result of that. I think that there's been a shift during the pandemic right. on the part of right. candidates in relation to what it is they want out of work, and so they're beginning to step up a little bit more in the sense that. I don't mind you setting goals for me collectively, you know, if I have right. at least some input, but I should have more input in when I do it and where I do it. And where it's possible, I want more capability, if you will, right. to yeah. work from home, yeah. to more flexibility to come in, you know, when, when it's important to come in, but not necessarily automatically going into, you know, hour-long commutes each way just so that I can show up uh, and text my, my, uh, my colleagues this in the year, next booth. In fact, I just posted, Corn Ferry had an article yesterday called the 24, I think it was the Talent Acquisition Trends for 2024, and their, and their number six trend yep. was talking about relocation. And they used these statistics. 1986, it was like 45% of people were relocating, packing up everything and relocating for jobs. And they're saying in 2023, it was 2%. Huge drop. And one yeah. of the things that impacted that yeah. was the pandemic and how people were working from home. And they all of a sudden it's like, yeah, I, I like working from home. It, this is, this is a, a, a great gig for me. So now they're talking about people because companies are trying to get p candidates and employees to move back to relocate for a new job or their employees for existing positions. They're trying to get them to relocate back to the home office or whatever office they want them to work at it. So now the candidates have to make or the employees have to make a decision. Do I look for another position or do I pack up and move? So first of all, the, the willingness to move and relocate has been on a downward trend since 1950. So that 2% might have been uh, a final, a little lower kind of thing, drop, but it was already down to, I think, 10 to 15% at most. At most. It wasn't in the, in the 80s. 
it I, I would I would argue that their data is is not as good uh, as mine. So so and I'm happy to defend my data anytime. But I I study I've been studying recruiting for 50 years, so I, I I'm just gonna go with it. So so people don't want to move unless they had for a job. They want to move because they want to move. They're retiring. They want to go to Florida. They, they, uh, they, they grew up in Austin and decided they really want to go to Seattle. Whatever, but they—that's when they start looking for a job that is willing to relocate them. But, but I will tell you that the majority of folks who were willing to work for a company by commuting, whether it's in the same city or not, has dropped enormously. So it's not about moving, it's about commuting. And and the impact is, if you force me to come in three, four days a week, I will be looking for another job. If you, if you don't give me the flexibility to decide which days, uh, because of, of the fact that I can only get on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, a, a third party to come in for the kids, then then your idea of Tuesday, Thursday, and Fridays that I come in isn't going to work for me either. So, so there is a pushback on a significant portion of the workforce, and we're talking 30 to 40% of the workforce that really wants to have that kind of flexibility. Now, that said... There's still a large portion of the workforce of kids who may have come out of college recently whose only job is a customer-facing job where they have to show up nine to five wherever the hell it is. You know what? They want to get out of it. I have a, I have a member who's a uh, healthcare company with almost all hospital systems, 100,000-plus nurses in that hospital system. They're losing a thousand nurses a month, and why? Well, the, the either it's money, so I'm willing to do this damn job, going doing this, but I'm only going to do it for a lot of money because I'm not going to do it for very long. Or they're leaving the hospital to go to an office or a place where they could do telemedicine or whatever to have more flexibility in terms of being able to leave to take care of kids and so on and so forth. So not not so risk averse as being in the hospital. So I'm I'm with you on this. I think I think employers are needing to listen more closely to the changing attitudes and behaviors of candidates so that they can shift how their practices for candidate experience um, are impacting that. Well, yeah, and I think that especially, well, manufacturing too, I mean, we talk about a number of different positions that require people to be on site, right, right now, but how much of all this is going to shift? And, and But the demand to relocate, that's an interesting bit of data because especially, I mean, who is moving? Everybody? I remember the IBM computer company. They used to use their acronym. I've been moved (laughs) because everybody had to move. Yeah, that. But that's again the nineteen. That was a nineteen fifties attitude. Yeah, that that fundamentally began losing its appeal through the 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 sixties and seventies, and it continued to go on down. So, so right now. People don't want to move and, and, or you, I worked in Silicon Valley for one of the IT firms and then you let me go work wherever I wanted and I moved to Idaho. Right. Do you think I'm coming back? Well, that's the other part. That's the other piece of it. Well, with the pandemic though, that's the other piece of it. People were able to move from home, to move home, create their offices at home. And so all of a sudden they thought, well, I don't need to be here in the Bay Area anymore, to your point. So they picked up and they moved to Idaho or they moved to Nevada or wherever else is lower cost of living, right? Sure. And now their employers are saying, oh, no, we need you back in the office. 
And that's where this article came up. Like, well, I'll tell you what. So one company that I'm familiar with, financial, a financial services firm, did the most perfect thing as far as I'm concerned. They basically told all their employees that their home was their official office. Sure. And there were times when they want to come in to the office. There are times when their team would want them to come into the office. And there are times when their boss might want to come in the office. And there's times the company might ask them to come in the office. And they should be a conversation that leads to that so that right. there's agreement, et cetera. And when they go into the office, because their home is their official office, that the cost of getting to that op that office is is expensable, including including childcare. Exactly. So if next week I need to go into the office for three days, then I'm going to get childcare for three days, and back to the company. I'm going to I'm going to have my you know my my tolls and my gas paid for. Right. Now now you know what I'm I would think when somebody tells me that I'm going. Like and and Jerry, going back to your career crossroads, though, one of the things that you mentioned early on, and I noticed on your website, is you have a lot of that kind of collaborative training and whatnot, and you guys are offering it for teams of people, right? Yes, we we think I, I'm I'm a fan of the fact that peers can help each other. Now, I do believe that on occasion. Part of how you build a relationship is face to face. There is a there is something we haven't quite really understood about the value add for face to face conversations and engagement. There's an intimacy about it. Um, there's this. There's probably some messaging that occurs in in face to face that we can't get even on a video. Kind of. But I do think that once there's this sense that I care about you, you care about me, that we have a community building, we can have conversations that are virtual and maintain our relationship. So it's really looking for the balance of face-to-face -face versus virtual um, in these days in terms of how we, how we operate. And so most of our activity uh, is virtual on a week-to-week -week basis, but several times during the course of the year, we have, uh, again, I said, uh, meetings hosted by our members with about 40, 40 to 50 people. One of our leadership meetings recently in September was at in Napa at a vineyard uh, hosted by Gallo, who's a member. And it's it's kind of it's tough thing to say. Oh yeah, I don't want to go to Napa, drink wine, and hang out with Jerry as for a day and a half. And so, the opportunity to do that is fascinating when you have everyone in the room willing to engage and participate and be fully fully engaging. So I'm I'm a I'm a fan of that kind of learning. We've gotten. We, and we have a variety of different ways of accomplishing that. But I think most of us will figure out how to do that for ourselves. You don't necessarily need a community like Career Crossroads. but yeah, but yeah, I think you do, though. I think you do need communities like that. There's a guy that just moved back here to Phoenix. In fact, I met him at the TalentNet Live conference in Dallas a couple of weeks ago. Sure. And that was a great event. I, Craig Fisher did, did a great job putting that on. And that was the first time I had attended. But I met a guy named Evan over there who's just moved back to Phoenix. And now he is setting up a, a Phoenix tech recruiters, kind of like a happy hour. Just make sure that the, the difference between a community and a... There's a significant difference between a community sure. and a network. Um, and, and a community really agrees to a certain set of values within the framework of the membership. Sure. A network, not necessarily. No, a network um, is just simply, getting together. You know, you know, show up, and maybe we can help each other. Maybe not. You know, yeah. Uh, I yeah. may may or may not care. Well, it's about like a you. speed date. It's kind of like a speed dating session. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm. While you may not need to do to do that in a formal way, I do think there's a value in your profession to to know exactly as you said 
to know that there are communities out there yep. that can be helpful to you from that right. perspective. Exactly. And so we try to go be a little bit beyond where we are uh, as a as a community of about 100 companies, most of which are large. We try to build other platforms, if you will, into our mix yes. uh, to help recruiters. So we do have a mentoring program that's free to all recruiters called right. TA Talk Tank. So I'm waiting to, in fact, I, I would be happy to sign up as a mentor right now. I'm just signed up as a mentee because, again, yeah, I want to both. learn stuff. We, yep. we encourage people to do both because, obviously, when you profile yourself, someone's going to look at that profile and say, oh, I, I'm thinking about something that she's done. You know, I'm, I, I would love to pick her brain. And it's a casual approach. It's not a formal approach where you right. got to, you know, hang out for whatever. Right. It's, it's let's have a virtual coffee and engage. I'd love to pick your brain about X, Y, and Z. And that's what the mentee has said. But the men, the mentor really is someone who's saying, hey, if somebody wants to learn for, oh, something from me, I'm willing to do that a couple times, you know, a month, let's say. Right. And and that's that's essentially what that is. We also offer a uh, scholarship. We're we're launching actually for the fourth year a ten thousand dollars scholarship for someone in talent acquisition or who is is referred by someone in talent acquisition. So maybe somebody who's in transition, may we may not be able to give them a job, but what we might be able to do is uh, suggest to them that they could help somebody else out. Maybe even they're in transition, their kid's going to school. Uh, maybe their kid could benefit by a $10,000 scholarship. Last year, we had a 1,000 applicants. And our members, our members uh, have volunteered to help us uh, review all of the applications, and obviously, we want to treat everybody who applies. That's amazing. Providing them with some information, uh, even though we may not be going forward with them. Well, and I think, too, you've got the talent board, you've got the, the TA Talk Tank, Career Crossroads, and then what is the, the last one you just mentioned? I wrote it down earlier. That's uh, the, the Career Crossroads Foundation. So right. it's... Um, cxr.works forward slash foundation community up oh community up is another one <laughs> um and and recruiters who are in leadership positions we are willing to interview them specifically to be a member of career crossroads while they're in transition because we feel that at a leadership level it gives them an opportunity to stay current to engage their peers and colleagues to potentially see some companies that are doing some in-growth, but they're in a position then when they are competing for a job uh, to talk about some of the activities that they're involved in through Career Crossroads to help others think through their practices, improve their technology, you know, and, and support one another. So that can help them become much more competitive for some of the positions that are out there. Well, okay, so... We've been on the on this call for a while. We probably should wrap up. I would love to schedule another call with you, though, because we could go on and on about the, the candidate well, experience. Let me, and let me do this. I think there's one thing that we should really think about how all of this is evolving, and that okay. is more data means better decisions right. for everyone. Employers have been using technologies to try to get more data, more effective data, to make better decisions about who could do the job. But at the, by the same token, I think candidates need to be given the kind of data that allows for them to make better decisions. One of the trends, obviously, pay transparency. Sure. Is an example of, of that kind of data being more and more accessible. Sure. Just 10 years ago, most companies had as part of their policy that if you as an employee shared how much money you make with another employee that was a class one violation and you could be fired for it. Is that crazy? That's illegal in most states now. Yeah. Not all, not no. all, 
<laughs> I think most. there's 19 currently that are participating in the salary transparency. Last um, count, actually, considerably more than that to some okay. degree. But you're right, to some degree. It's but yeah, growing. It's growing yeah. quickly, and cities as well. Right. So this pay transparency issue uh, and the pay transparency directives by the EU, etc., all are coming to the fore because fairness involves having access to better data and we should be oh we should be the kind of person that says here's how we pay and and here's where we are by the way in terms of gender ethnicity race etc differences in pay for doing the same job and here's what we're doing about it to change that right. so that there is more equity in relation to that and more fairness in terms of what we do so that's one. But there's a lot more. We should be able to learn as much about the employer as they learn about us. So if an employer I like requires that. that you tell mm -hmm. them every relationship you've ever had professionally and why you left it, then, then you should be able to ask any hiring manager, how many people that look like me have you hired in the last five years and where are they now? I love that. That's a great question. So so we're moving in that direction. Yeah, and I hope anybody who's listening to this podcast knows that they can ask those questions. We're giving you the green light to ask those yeah, questions. There are, we, we do, but you, there are consequences to those whose bias- There shouldn't be, though. There shouldn't be consequences. Doesn't matter. There yeah. are consequences to asking questions with folks who are not prepared to handle it. It is what it is, but still, yeah. I'm a I'm a fan. Anyhow, I am too. Thank you. I am too. Thank you, Jerry. We're, we'll have other conversations, I'm sure. <laughs> All right. Have a great rest of your week. You too. Take care. Right. Thank you for tuning in to another insightful episode of Talking TA with Top Source Talent. We trust that our discussions has provided you with valuable insights and actionable strategies for your journey as a talent acquisition professional. Our mission is to be your go-to resource for staying ahead in the ever-evolving landscape of talent acquisition. Whether you're a seasoned recruiter or embarking on your recruitment career, our aim is to equip you with practical advice that elevates your day-to-day -day work. As we continue sharing valuable insights with you, we're excited to support your growth and assist you in building the best workforce for your team. Stay inspired, stay informed, and until next time, happy recruiting.